Welcome to the Lessons Learned from Donald Trump podcast. This thing is huge. It's the greatest, most outrageous, incredibly fun podcast on the internet today. It's all about the Donald, the most spectacular entrepreneur alive today. For entrepreneurs who also want to dominate their market and destroy their competition. I'm Steve Cypress, here with my co-host, Everett Farnell. Welcome back to another episode of the Lessons Learned from Donald Trump podcast. Steve Sight, I can't even say my own name. I'm so excited to be back again with my co-host, Everett Farnell. This is Steve Cypress. Everett, welcome back to another Lessons Learned from Donald Trump podcast episode. I am incredibly thrilled to be here. This is, a, <clears throat> this is an amazing opportunity, not only for us to reach out and, and really affect people's lives, change people's lives, dramatically and powerfully affect, uh, alter the direction of their lives, but also it's an amazing opportunity for all our listeners to put to use some outrageously powerful techniques to not only increase their business, not only improve their business, but also improve their lives. You know, Gary Halbert used to say that the answer to all of life's problems is a great sales letter. And there's some truth to that, that uh, if you can get a good sales letter and you can mail it out and you can get some uh, and you can make some money, you can improve your business, especially if you can do it in that way, then you're you're uh, you're off to the races. That's uh, uh, that well, of will. course, and too many people have that great sales letter, but they have it in their head and they don't know the right structure template to get it out there. And, Absolutely. Uh, but, of course, if they did, then we wouldn't they don't have clients. And uh, <laughs> yeah. we, wouldn't have, we wouldn't have anyone to help. So I guess that's exactly. a good thing, although I continue to, to do events and webinars and videos in any way you can help. But you really do, you know, each one is specifically different, needs some help. You can always contact one of us if you need help. But anyway, I digress. Let's well, get back to another lesson learned from Donald Trump for this week. We're going to conclude our series for now. I'm sure we'll pick it up again at some point on lessons learned from mistakes Donald Trump has made. This one is a little off the beaten path from what we normally Steve, talk about here. Yes? Steve, let me interject just for a second. I, I just want to I, I just want to remind everybody that I am under an exclusive with a client now. So while I'm happy to get on here and do these and I have a great time doing them with you, if you need to if you need to contact somebody for help, you need to reach out to Steve because I'm, I'm on an exclusive arrangement, so I wouldn't be able to help you at least at this point. Steve would be the the man you want to reach out to and uh, and get hooked up with, and, and he can take care of you. So I, I'm well, sorry, I, I just wanted to the plug, I just and I to apologize make... for the. Uh, I uh, thank you for the correction. We uh, right because people would be pretty upset. I even I know that you even told me that you have something about how you haven't even like you don't even answer your emails for for weeks, or you you took yourself off of Facebook completely. Yeah, you even told Facebook, me uh, yeah. in the past few weeks when I've been without you on this podcast. Hey, I haven't watched anything political. I've been so busy over the last few yeah. weeks. So blah blah blah. So so yeah, we don't want you know right now if you contact Everett and you're gonna it's gonna fall on deaf ears. You're gonna feel insulted or ignored or something. We don't want that to happen. So go ahead and reach out to me and I'll I'll do my best to help you out. Okay. So um, this uh, this episode we wanted to get off of our usual for, for the entire time here. We've been talking about sales and marketing issues and, and generally uh, growing the business, uh, which is in line with lessons learned from Trump as he grows his campaign and keeps moving along and winning and moving up. But we want to shift uh, a little bit to a lesson learned from Donald Trump about timing, uh, about timing of uh, real life and your main business and maybe what you really would love to do or personal things. And I will just say in general, uh, I have uh, consulted with and counseled and met and helped uh, tens of thousands of business owners over the last 35 or more years of my career. And uh, we all have a tendency to overwork 
And, uh, you know, the saying of we're never 100% present when we're working, we're thinking about home, and when we're home, we're thinking about work, and we're never 100% present with either one. I know so many clients that I've counseled over the years, and I've done it myself, where even if you're at home or you're on a vacation with the kids, you're still taking a call or checking business emails, or if you're at a soccer game, quote, watching your son's soccer game, you're also reading spreadsheets up in the stands or you're, you're making a call to your assistant about something or you're looking over an ad you're going to run or something. And so, you know, entrepreneurs have a tendency to do that. We've seen this with Donald Trump where he has been speaking about for years uh, r- wanting to run for president. He's been talking about it for decades uh, and maybe thinking about it his whole life. But he's always, you know, been a guy who can get things done. And he looks at government who over the years increasingly can't get anything done properly and is bloated beyond compare. And Trump is an incredibly, as we know, cheap guy who is overlooking every penny of everything. And so he's always said, you know, I would like a chance to run some government things because, man, could I do it better. And now... Trump is like 70 years old, and it's possible that he might have waited, not for this, technically this election, it hasn't been an issue, uh, because Hillary Clinton's also an old lady. So you got an old lady, an old guy, it's not really an issue, but I have a feeling that it, it could possibly become one. No one knows at any time when somebody 70, although Trump is in fantastic physical shape, and he doesn't drink, and he doesn't smoke, and he plays golf and stays fit, but, uh, you know, at any time something physically could happen, certainly president, we've seen every president, you know, gets gray hair and loses the hair, and Trump, of course, even though maybe he'll start coloring it gray instead of blonde, and maybe he'll start uh, trimming it instead of just combing it all over, so he he actually looks like he's losing his hair, but anyway, I digress. Uh, You know, age doesn't seem to be an issue now, but uh, the wear and tear and the extra stress, like he could not believe nobody, I I predict, could ever know, is about to hit him if he would ever win this thing, and then especially in a possible re-election, where you're looking at four years down the road, you're looking at the public saying, look, we got a 74-year-old guy who has shown little signs of this and that and getting tired over the years here. And he might be at that point, instead of running against an old woman, he might be running against uh, a young a Cory Booker or some young, you know, 40-something-year-old up-and-coming Democrat superstar who's going to make it a big issue and even bring up things like were brought up years ago with Ronald Reagan, uh, that he was too old. And they're going to say, do we want a 78-year-old in White House? And so the lesson learned is Trump may may have waited just a little bit too long to do this thing. And as a business owner, we want to encourage you not to wait too long to do things you really want to do because you're so busy building your business. And Everett, I know you have a, a personal experience with that. Yeah, it, it just you know to weigh in on Trump for a second, if he'd have done this 10 years ago, there's no way that it would ever come up, right? Because nobody would have cared. He's, you know, he'd have been, uh, uh, he'd have been what, 60 years old? Um, and everything would have been perfectly fine. Nobody would have batted an eye. But now at 70, people are thinking, you know, by the time he gets out of his second term, he could be almost 80 years old. That might be an issue. Like you said, not today because it's Hillary Clinton. But if he's if he's uh, at 74 going to run for re-election against the younger, uh, uh, you know, somebody in their 40s or their 50s, then it could be, uh, you know, that could be an issue for him. Um, and and I think the lesson from that is that there are all we all have things we want to do, right? We all have things that are going on in our personal life that we want to do. And I know for years, <clears throat> for a good portion of, uh, uh, of my professional life, I put those things off. And, uh, uh, and instead of doing those things, I focused on business. So instead of going for the vacations with uh, uh, even many vacations with with my family or going for going to the springs for a day or going to the park with uh, with my kids, I would work and my wife would take them. And um, a few years ago, I had uh, 
uh, as many of the listeners already know, I had a uh, a, bi- a bad business partner relationship that our business partner relationship that went bad and kind of started over again. Uh, got out of the business I was in and started, uh, you know, started because it became a full time marketing consultant and copywriter. And uh, uh, when I did that, one of the things that I realized is how much time I had given up. To do things that I really didn't even want to do, uh, I, you know, I mean, it was managing uh, managing roofing crews and and dealing with uh, dealing with insurance thing, you know, dealing with uh, unemployment insurance and all that kind of crap that we have to do as business owners that I didn't even want to do. I didn't like doing. Ate up a bunch of time, and uh, you know, and and I thought, well, to be a responsible business owner to really build a really strong business, uh, this is this is what I got to do. And 2012, we did two million dollars in sales. Now, uh, uh, some of the roofing company, $10 million, $10.5 million in residential sales will get you on the list of 100 largest roofing companies in the country. So $2 million is a significant amount of money in the roofing business. You know, I barely saw my kids. Like, I, like I just wasn't around them very often. And I, I decided I was never going to do something again that was going to take that time away from uh, uh, from my children because, you know, my oldest is 14 years old. She, a few more years and she's going to, you know, I mean, she's going to be gone. And it just... It, it hit me like a ton of bricks. She was 11 when this happened. It hit me like a ton of bricks. She's well more than halfway to uh, to being an adult. And the last, you know, the previous five or six years, I had just had gone by in a blink. I, I couldn't even remember any real significant, uh, uh, you know, milestones throughout that time uh, that I saw. And I heard about them. My wife would share them with me and, you know, et cetera. But, but I didn't see any of them personally. And I just said, this isn't going to work for me anymore. This is not, this is not how I'm doing this anymore. And uh, I recognized that I have to put some of my business goals now have to be the ones that suffer. So I still have the same business goals, but what we're doing is we're putting those over to the side. We're saying this first, this is more important. I I mean, you don't have to build a billion dollar business today that can wait 10 years and then you can work on that when, uh, you know, when you don't have these other things. The other thing I started doing recently, and I don't even think I told you about this, Steve, but I started MMA training again. So years ago, I, uh, uh, I was learning. Sorry for the other guy. uh, Yeah. Years ago, I, uh, I was uh, uh, training, um, in, uh, shoot fighting is what they called it at the time. Anybody who's watched MMA will be familiar with, uh, or at least watched it, you know, 15 years ago, will be familiar with Ken Shamrock. And uh, he teaches a particular type of fighting called shoot fighting. And uh, uh, so I, I was training that for years and then uh, got out of it and got distracted with some of my other goals. Now I'm 44 years old and I'm getting uh, uh, getting back in the gym and doing that. I'm down 50 pounds. I'm uh, uh, I'm stronger than I was, and I'm—I uh, mean, I just can't wait to get in—I uh, just can't wait to get in my first amateur bout. Uh, you know, at 44 years old, people scratch your head and say, "Why? What are you doing? A midlife crisis?" I don't know, maybe, but I'm having a hell of a time doing it. It's as—it's as much fun as I've ever had, and uh, it's something that 10 years ago I wouldn't have done because I had more important things to do, meaning growing, building a business. And now I'm finding that uh, that I can schedule the business around that, you know, around my training time. And around my time with my kids and my family, still do perfectly acceptable and, uh, you know, acceptable as far as the business goes and income and whatnot and have a much fuller and richer and better life doing it. Well, I mean, first of all, you said a big mouthful there. Second thing is the listeners might not know, but I uh, don't have any kids, but you have four kids. I mean, any time at any point where you did have any, and I hate to bring it up, but I mean, uh, you know, this is lessons learned. You know, Donald Trump, I'm sure, has similar things, although you see his kids are part of his business and very close to him and all. But have there been times where you felt like you wish you would have spent more time, paid more attention to the kids? Oh, no doubt about it. 
that's that's exactly what I felt like when pardon me when uh, when I decided to uh, when I decided that I wasn't going to continue the current track that I had been on um, was that I, I had missed out on a significant portion of their upbringing so I mentioned my, my oldest daughter but I also have a son who's 11 and another son who's seven and a daughter who's five so from for significant portions of their young lives I've you know I mean I, I was I had my head down in a computer or or, or talking to a uh, you know at the office talking to, to employees and and all stuff by the way that I thought was necessary at the time but I've since learned that it, it's not necessary I, I mean there's definitely work to be done I'm not one of these four-hour work week kind of uh, kind of guys but um, uh, but I, I when when really looking back and assessing at how much time I spent actually being productive and working and how much time I spent just being at the office because that's what I'm supposed to do or or being out on a job site because that's what I'm supposed supposed quote unquote supposed to do um, you know you start you start really assessing some of those times and you realize that you know holy shit I wasted huge amounts of time that I didn't have to that I didn't have to waste that if I was uh, you know if I was more focused and more effective with my work time I could have gotten got and everything done I needed to get done and still had time to go to the park and still had time to go to the springs and still had time to take that weekend vacation, <clears throat> pardon me, um, uh, you know, and, and uh, go do whatever, go camping or go seeing some sites or go whatever you're doing for the weekend. Um, it's not, you know, it's not necessary if, if it's not necessary to have your business consume all of your time. It, you know, one of the things that uh, that really affected me, it just jumped into my head, but it was the, but it absolutely affected me. Um, there's a uh, there's a guy who does what we do in uh, in Europe, uh, England specifically. His name's Chris, and I'm forgetting his last name, which is shameful because he actually was a client of mine at one point um, for a short time. I did a I went over to to Great Britain and did some work for him. But he was he interviewed a um, a guy. Oh, what is his name? What uh, who's the magazine mogul um, that wrote the book uh, How to Get Rich? Um, do you remember who I'm talking about? Well, there was a book, How to Be Rich, but that was J. Paul Getty. No, no, this is... uh he wrote How to Get Rich, and he wrote uh, The Narrow Morris. Road. Felix Dennis, that's oh. who it was. Felix Dennis. He was a he was a, a British magazine mogul, and he wrote a book called How to Get Rich, and then he wrote a book called The Narrow Road um, about what it takes to get rich. And uh, anyway, Chris um, interviewed him when when uh, How to Get Rich came out. He got it and he read it, and then he bought I don't know 500 copies or something for clients of his for his you know his 500 closest friends. <laughs> and uh, it, but he 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 uh, contacted through the publisher and said, Listen, I bought 500 copies. Is there any chance I might be able to do a phone interview with Felix Dennis and you know the publisher was happy to uh, uh, you know to make that happen so he's doing a, a phone interview with the guy now Felix Dennis was worth he was a billionaire he's worth several hundred pounds and uh, so in US dollars he was you know he was a billionaire uh, when I say several hundred seven eight nine hundred pounds something like that um, so uh, uh, so one of the interesting things well, that you mean he had a lot of money not he was some big huge fat guy well both uh-huh. <laughs> he, yeah he, he was yeah I'm talking about pound sterling with money, um, but yeah, he, he was a big guy anyway. But uh, um, but he was a billionaire. He was a very 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 rich fellow. And uh, uh, one of the interesting things that he told Chris that uh, uh, that that really struck me when Chris told me was that he didn't know anybody whose net worth was more than a hundred million dollars who had any kind of decent relationship with his children. Now that Ow. you know, putting Trump aside because he seems to on the surface have a very nice relationship. You know, who can say? But Felix Dennis is a guy who got there, who did that. He didn't have any children, but he ran in those circles and he knew people in those circles and he knew people who had that kind of money. And I thought to myself, I wouldn't trade 
Buffett's money or Bill Gates' money for a you know for a good relationship with my children. There's no amount of money that I, it, it it doesn't matter to me. It, like the, the thing that matters is the relationship with my kids. And so that instantly, I had already kind of made this decision, but but that just reinforced the decision, powerfully reinforced the decision that you know my focus is I still I still have business goals and I still know that I have to uh, that I have to do what work is necessary to have a sustainable and and solid business. I, I'm not suggesting people should live week to week uh, in their in their business. I mean, there's still work to do, but there's a difference between saying, okay, I want to build a sustainable, powerful business that pays me three, four, five hundred thousand dollars a year, and I want to build a business that's going to turn me into a billionaire, or I want to make a million dollars a year. Well, it's quick to say I want to make a million dollars a year, but people who make a million dollars a year work a lot, and they have to work a lot because that's a lot of money. Even if they're working leverage, you know, in, in a leveraged way, um, they're constantly checking their email. They're constantly checking, well, you know, just like say, you said. Well, I not right? even just the how much they're working. It's the stress. There's an amazing right. amount of stress. Uh, I mean, they, you know, there's a, well, now we could talk about the whole Bernie Sanders thing about how the average worker, you know, doesn't make as much as the CEO, whatever. That CEO is not just working a certain number of hours. Because, of course, there's no way he could work 100 times the hours of the average worker. But the, the stress that the, the top people are under is just uh, monumental. Right. Well, yeah, and and the responsibility, the amount of responsibility that they have is uh, is huge. So better to scale that back, intentionally scale that back, still make a good income, uh, but but intentionally scale that back for a few years and spend some time, you know, have the time to spend with my children. I, I mean, look, you can do a lot as an entrepreneur. You can do a lot in a 40 or 50 hour work week during the week and take the weekends off and just spend the weekends with your kids. Now, I know a lot of people uh, talk about the four hour work week and that kind of stuff, which, by the way, the four hour work week was just picked as the name because that was the uh, that tested out to be the, the, the most popular name. You know, anybody who sees uh, what's his name? That uh, that wrote Ferris? that wrote that book. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah Ferris. Sure. Yeah, anybody who sees Tim Ferriss work it knows he doesn't work four hours a week. <laughs> no, I, uh, yeah. I you know I've been I, I sat at a table once uh, at an event uh, with him. We were at the same table. I spoke to him for a bunch. He everyone knows he he doesn't only work four hours. I think he even said that in the book anyway. But uh, right. But anyway, I mean, it's, but it's true that you can scale and automate your business to the point where. It only takes a half an hour of your day to check in with the numbers. Certainly somebody who owns 40 Wendy's or 80 McDonald's is, by definition, only be spending half an hour a week on each one. That's 40 hours a week there. So even if they work 80 hours a week, if they own 80 McDonald's, they can spend one hour in each one. So that could be a one-hour work week if they had one McDonald's. Right. Uh, but you know, Tim. Tim has always been upfront about doing all kinds of other things and all kinds of other projects. But, but anyway, I, I think I hear what you're saying, and I and I think we all we get the message that's just a lesson learned from Donald Trump, which might not be. I mean, maybe things are fine, and he didn't wait too long. But I think part of it, like I said in the beginning, has to do with who he's running against. His opponent is another old person, so age isn't brought up as an issue here. But it could be in a re-election. Also, his physical health could decline. It's easy to see how physical health could change rapidly and and pronounced from the age 70 to 78, certainly. So uh, it could become an issue, at which point people would be saying, man, he just waited, you know, he talked about it for years, waited too long to do it. Our hope 
for you, dear listener, is never to have to say the same thing about yourself. That no one will have to say, hey, it's too bad. So-and-so used to listen to that lessons learned from Donald Trump podcast and laughed at all their dumb jokes and whatever and did some of the stuff they did and made a lot of money. But too bad he didn't do what he, he or she didn't do what they really wanted to do until it was kind of too late. We don't want you to end up there. Absolutely. Very good. So have a, that will have bring a huge, this, magnificent life. This, that will bring this huge, magnificent episode to a close of the unbelievably awesome, uh, excellent lessons learned from Donald Trump podcast. Steve Cypress here with my co-host, Everett Farnell, wishing you another week of fantastic, unbelievably excellent success. I know this is going to be a huge week for everybody, and we will be back again next week, same time, same place, with another excellent, fantastic, I mean, uh, do you do you agree, Everett? Does it, do you think it's going to be an excellent episode? I, I don't think that we could possibly do anything but an excellent episode, simply because the subject matter that we're talking about is so incredible, and, we're, and we both know what we're talking about when it comes to building businesses. We've both been doing it for a long, for a long time. And, I mean, I don't know how it could be anything but powerful and transformative for any entrepreneur who's listening. Even the most high-level entrepreneur has to acknowledge that Donald Trump is, uh, uh, is perhaps the greatest entrepreneur of our day. And so how could, you, how could you help but go wrong with a couple of guys like us who know what we're talking about? who are studying the best in the business. Speaking of which, that must make this, by definition, the greatest, hugest, most fantastic podcast of all time. So uh, we told you that was going to happen in the beginning, and it happened in episode one, it happened in episode two, it happened in episode three. We're going to keep going. You're going to get so tired of excellent episodes that we're going to just keep doing excellent episodes, or whatever that is that he says. Okay, so <laughs> that's it for this week. That was, as always, a lot of fun with the silliness at the end and the beginning. We'll be back to do it all over again next week. Hope you'll join us then. You've just listened to the most terrific podcast on the internet today. If you want to be a winner like Trump, make sure you go listen to the rest of the episodes by going to LessonsLearnedFromDonaldTrump.com. And join us next time. Unless you like being a loser, some people do, I guess. <laughs>